Wildwood Community Church exists to glorify God by connecting people to Christ, His worship, His community, and His mission. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Well, good morning. I'm excited for our opportunity to look into God's Word today. I also just want to let you know we're going to be ending our service today by celebrating the Lord's Supper together. And so I just want to prepare you for that and just let you know that at Wildwood we believe that meal is available for all who have professed faith in Christ, whether that is a relationship with Jesus that has been going on in your life for years or whether that's a relationship with Christ that begins this morning. If you're trusting in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you're welcome to participate in the Lord's Supper with us today. And we're going to be ending our service celebrating that meal together. But uh, before we, we do that, I want to just mention a, a couple of reminders to you of some things going on at Wildwood. This is a, the holiday season, Christmas season. We're excited about that. Uh, you might notice that the room and the church has come to life with Christmas decorations, but there's a number of opportunities that we have to share the love of Christ with our community in this season. I want to make sure you're aware of those things. Wildwood partners with Mission Norman, and right here at Wildwood we host the Mission Norman Christmas Shop, where families in the Mission Norman system who are not able to provide gifts for their children at Christmas time are able to come here and to select some gifts uh, the first week of December that they can give to their kids. And so we collect those gifts from within the body here. And if you would like to help provide some of those gifts, there's suggestions for the kinds of things we need. Out in the gathering hall, you can grab a tag off of uh, the, the wall out there. Also, just to let you know, there are a number of serving opportunities available with Mission Norman. And so if you are interested in helping us host this Christmas store in any way through the setup, even this afternoon we need some help all the way through when the store runs here at Wildwood. You can find information in your bulletin about how to sign up online for those things or you can again stop by the Mission Norman area out in the gathering hall after the service and find out a little more about how you can get involved. But we'd love to have you connect and get involved with us on mission this Christmas season. Also, uh, this is the Advent time of Advent when we remember the coming of Christ into the world at Bethlehem. And over the next several days, we're going to be putting out some devotionals every day uh, that will have both some art from children in our children's ministry as well as some devotionals that I've written. And those will be delivered through all of Wildwood's social media feeds. Um, you can also link to it off of our website. But we'd love for you to, to follow along with us every day in these devotionals that will go live every morning. And uh, it'll just be a, a great opportunity for us as individuals and as families to focus on Jesus this Christmas season. So uh, excited for the opportunity that we have to worship together as a church family. Now, today we're going to be wrapping up our study of the book of Romans. And this is an adventure that has been going on for some 16 months now as we began back in Romans chapter 1 verse 1 and have progressed all the way now to the end of chapter 16. We've seen the, the message of this great letter to the Romans. And in our most recent set of messages, the last few weeks, we've been talking about how Paul ends this by reminding the Romans and us of the mission that Christ had given him, a mission to tell the world about Christ, to invite those who were far from God to follow God through faith in Christ. And so we have seen that as a mission that Paul's invited us to join him on and a mission that we can per personally partake in as well as partnering with others as we keep our doctrine pure. So we've been talking about that over the last few weeks and today we're going to wrap up this series by looking at uh, part four of the commission series, looking at Romans 16 verses 25 to 27. 
Now, before we look specifically at those verses, I think it's helpful for us to remember that those, these three verses we're going to see today fit at the end of this letter to the Romans. And so, in a sense, they've proved to be a bookend to this message uh, that we have seen over the last 16 months. Now, bookends are, are helpful things in your home, right? You may have a bookshelf at your house that has some bookends on it, things of some weight that hold up uh, things that, that lie in between them. So you have two bookends of some weight on both ends of a set of books. Those books stand upright. It's easy for us to find them. In the same way, Paul writes his letter to the Romans with these bookends from chapter 1 to chapter 16 that hold up all of the truth that he has shared with us throughout the book so that we can easily find it. He reminds us of this primary point. And the two weighty issues that he mentions both in chapter 1 and in chapter 16 is the, the issue of the power of God demonstrated through the gospel of Jesus Christ. The fact that Jesus Christ came and died for our sins, was resurrected from the dead, and by God's grace, hope and righteousness are offered to sinful people like you and me. That's how Paul begins the book, and that's how Paul ends the book, and everything that we've seen in between is held together by those things. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to look at these last few verses to see what we can learn about the gospel as it holds up the tail end of this letter. So if you've got a Bible, take it out and open to Romans chapter 16, verses 25 through 27. Those are the verses where we're going to be today. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles under the seat back in front of you. If um, those aren't available to you, know that when you leave uh, our, our service today, there's some Bibles out in, uh, at the Welcome Center out there. You could grab one. We'd love to give you a Bible um, to have you be able to, to read God's Word throughout the week. But today we're going to be looking at Romans 16, verses 25 through 27. The Apostle Paul writes, and this is what he says. He says, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed, and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all the nations, according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. In these three verses today, friends, we're going to see a couple of things that let us know something about the nature of the gospel. The first thing we're going to see is this. There is one who is able. There is one who is able. Now, Paul mentions this at the beginning of verse 25. He says, now to him who is able. Now, inside of verse 25, there is a word that is the same word that is used back in chapter 1 of Romans, chapter 1 and verse 16. And so, if you want to keep your finger there in chapter 16 of Romans and turn just a few pages to the left, you'll go back to chapter 1 of Romans in verse 16. Romans chapter 1 verse 16 makes this statement. He says, "For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. What Paul says at the beginning of this letter, at the front end of the bookend of this letter, is he lets us know that the gospel is about the power of God to deliver the righteousness of God to sinful people like you and me. How is it that you and I could be seen as righteous before God? How is it that salvation could be credited to our lives 
that is found by God initiating in our lives and by delivering his righteousness to us. This is the message of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. Not on the basis of our works, but on the basis of God's grace. When we receive by faith the gift that he offers, the righteousness of God is given to us. That's how Paul begins the letter. Now, when I read that, you might be wondering, well, what is the word that is the same in chapter 1, verse 16, in chapter 16, verse 25? I mean, certainly we see that the word gospel is found in both, but what is the other word that is the same? In verse, chapter 1, verse 16, he talks about the power of God. In chapter 16, verse 25, that same word for power is translated as the one who is able. Same word, same root. He just says now to him who is able. The idea, friends, is that the God who delivers his power to us, that leads us to righteousness and salvation, is the same God who is initiating with us now, who is involved with us now, who is giving to us now the things that we need for our Christian life. There is one who is able to give us what we need. And that one who is able to give us what we need is, is not Darren, though Darren is a, is a wonderful guy and a friend of mine, but I cannot find what I need for salvation through my friend Darren. And it's not what I could find through Josh. Though Josh is a friend of mine and, and God has blessed me through our friendship. But what is necessary for salvation What is necessary for the righteousness of God to be delivered to me is found outside of human interaction, and it's found as something given from the one who is able, and that one who is able is God himself. God is powerful enough to give us what we need. Well, what is it that God gives to us? What is it that his power delivers to us? Well, verse 25 lets us know. God gives to us, he's able to strengthen us according to his gospel. God is able to strengthen us. Now, what is the idea behind strengthen? The word that is translated here, strengthen, is a word that is used many times in the book of Acts. It's a word that was used of the Apostle Paul as he would help grow and mature young churches that he helped start. As the Apostle Paul would travel around the Mediterranean and he would show up in cities like Thessalonica or in Corinth or Ephesus, he would share the gospel there and some people would respond, some people would believe. And after they believed, a church would start in that city. And Paul would circle back to those cities and he would strengthen them in his subsequent journeys. Well, what was he doing as he was strengthening those churches? Well, he was correcting errors that they might have begun to believe. He was calling out sin that might have begun to fester. He was encouraging them by pointing them to the truth of the gospel, and he was helping to establish leaders inside those churches. In a sense, Paul was like a gardener who was coming alongside these young churches and creating an environment where they could grow and they could mature in their faith. That's the same word, strengthen, that is said here that God does with you and me. Here's the idea. God is so committed to a relationship with us that he not only has the power to bring us into a saving relationship with him, as we saw in chapter 1, verse 16, 
But this same God is so committed to us that he will be like a gardener over our soul, pulling out the weeds of false doctrine and the tares of of sin and calling us to the truth of the Scriptures through the work of his Holy Spirit again and again and again. God is able. God is powerful enough. God is so committed to us that he is tending to our souls even now. There is one who is able not only to bring us into a relationship with Christ, but there is one who is able to sustain us in our relationship with Christ so that we could go forward on into eternity. And that one who is able is God himself. God is that committed to us. The gospel has implications and applications beyond just at the beginning of our Christian life, but all the way through. And and here's the thing. As we gather here today, God is telling us that he is able to strengthen us. And let me ask you, is there anybody out there that needs some strengthening today? Is there anybody out there who feels discouraged or weighed down or burdened? Is there anybody out there who feels tied to a past failure or sin? Is there anybody out there who feels defeated by a current temptation? Is there anybody out there who feels that their relational context and situation is so broken and they feel so rejected, they feel hopeless and on their own? I mean, is there anybody out there who can relate to any of that? Is there anybody out there who needs some strengthening? And let me answer this for you. If you're sitting there thinking, well, I'm the only one, you're sitting in a room full of people that need strengthening. And the good news for us is that as we gather here today, we're reminded that there is one who is able to strengthen us, and the one who is able is Jesus Christ. Now, how, how does God strengthen us? To some degree, throughout the entire book of Romans, we find answers to that question, how God strengthens us. But specifically, as Paul ends his letter, he's going to mention a couple of things that God uses to strengthen followers of Jesus Christ today. One of the things that God uses to strengthen us is the gospel. He, he says here in verse 25, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel. Now Paul is saying that according to my gospel, not because he was so proud of, of the way that he told the story, but because Paul knew that the story that he told was consistent with the reality of who Jesus was and what he lived out. Remember last week we talked about false teachers. Paul wanted them to know that just because somebody says gospel doesn't mean that it's right. It's, he's referring to a specific message about what God has done for us through Christ. The message that he just detailed throughout the book of Romans. Paul says that that gospel message has strength and encouragement. It provides an environment where growth and maturity can happen among Christians. That's something of what God is offering to us. He's offering to strengthen us, to grow and to mature us through the gospel. Now, in in what way does that, that happen? Because sometimes we think about the gospel as something that gets us into a relationship with God, but not something that has application beyond that. I don't know the last time you went to the airport, but you go to the airport and you have a ticket to get on the plane and you hold on to that ticket tightly and you, you, you take it up and you, you show it and the, the, the guy puts the little marks on it and he puts it under the scanner and you go through security. But what happens after the last time you show that ticket, the last time you need to show that ticket, what do you do with the ticket? 
you just stuff it in your bag, right? It is no longer really all that relevant to you. It's already served its utility. It got you on the plane. Sometimes we think of the gospel as something that gets us on the plane of salvation. It's just something that begins our relationship with him. But what's interesting is, as Paul writes here, he says that we're not to take the gospel and wad it up and throw it in the bottom of our bag. Because the gospel is more than just getting us on the plane of salvation, but the gospel strengthens and encourages us. It grows and matures us throughout our Christian life. So that when we gather and we hear the gospel message again and again and again on Sundays, we shouldn't go, oh, I know this story. I've heard this before, yon, yon. This is talking about sinfulness of man and the forgiveness that's found in Christ. We, we should never have that response because that message is a message of continual encouragement of maturing and growing us in our faith. Think about just some of the different ways in which the gospel has application to those of us who are in need of strengthening. Some of us need strengthening today because of struggle that we have with sin. Let's just take, for instance, the issue of anger. Maybe you have a temper that is flaring up, and, and though you, you want to not respond to those around you, your friends and your family that way, you just find that anger bubbling over, and you lash out at people with what you say or what you throw or whatever that, that it looks like in your life, and that, that happens, and you feel this, this shame that comes over you. How does the gospel help a follower of Christ who struggles with anger? Well, it helps, the gospel message helps you in so many ways. First of all, it reminds you that there is forgiveness available even for that blow-up. That there's, it's possible for us to have a relationship with God that is not tied to that outburst of anger, that there is forgiveness that is found in Christ. The gospel message is relevant for us as Christians, but not only is it helpful to remind us of our forgiveness, but it's also helpful to remind us that once forgiven, God has sent His Holy Spirit to reside within the life of a Christian, and that spirit can produce within us a different kind of fruit, fruit like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, things that would run in direct opposition to the anger that flows. And so we have a hope in the gospel of not only experiencing forgiveness, but also experiencing current power to live out a different life, the life that we desire, the life that God's laid out for us. Friends, the gospel is relevant for those of us who struggle with sin. Anger may not be your issue, but you've got an issue. I've got issues. The gospel is strength. It's encouragement to us in the midst of that. What does the gospel say to us in, in, in the midst of the sting of divorce? There might be some here that this is your first holiday season to go through having gone through the sting of divorce. Well, no, again, there's forgiveness that's available, but also know this. If you're going through a divorce, then you, this is a time where you're feeling rejected. And you, somebody that knew you the best has walked away from you, and you're here today, and you're in pieces. But know this. In the gospel message, we find out that the God who knows us intimately, loves us deeply, and has not rejected us, but sent his son to die for us. We can have hope in the gospel in the midst of our relational challenges, in our relational pain. It may not be divorce, it may be relationships with your kids or friends, but there is hope and grace found in the gospel. We encourage and strengthen and we find an environment where we can grow and mature as we remember the gospel together. We find out our true mission inside the gospel. All of us want our lives to be significant, they want our lives to matter. Inside the gospel, we find out that eternity is 
impacted by people's response to the work of Jesus Christ. What a privilege for us was we remember the gospel message to remember to partake in that mission and take that gospel to those who are in need. Friends, the gospel is a message that strengthens even the believer, even today. Not only is the gospel something that God uses to strengthen us, but he continues and lets us know that another thing that is used to strengthen us is the preaching concerning Christ, preaching that points people to Jesus. He says, now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. There is power in preaching. Now, I love that because I, I get to do this. It, this is encouragement to my soul. I mean, we, we spend half of our services every time we gather opening up God's Word and, and reading it and talking about its application to us. But we do that not just because we have to do something to fill the time. We do that because right here in Romans 16, 25 and in other places in Scripture, we find out that it is the preaching of God's Word that God uses to create an environment where we can grow and mature. God wants us to believe truth about himself, and so we read God's truth, and we talk about what it means so that we might respond in faith, and that gives honor and that gives glory to God. God strengthens us not only through the gospel, but also through the preaching concerning Christ, preaching that points to Jesus. Now, what is fascinating to me about this is that the preaching that that points to Jesus can be found at any point inside of our Bibles. 66 different books in our Bible, but throughout our Bibles, we find truth that points us to Christ. Therefore, reading the Bible at any point, Old Testament or New Testament, provides an environment where we can grow and mature in our faith. Paul makes that clear when he talks about the nature of this preaching of Jesus Christ, because he says that preaching is according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but now has been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all the nations. Paul's talking here about how there is a quality of our Bibles that has always pointed people to Christ. Now, in the Old Testament time, people didn't necessarily understand all of that. The Jewish people might have had some kind of a category of Messiah, certainly they did, but they didn't understand exactly what Jesus would look like. And they certainly didn't understand the fact that Jesus' death was going to provide a way for Jews and Gentiles, Jews and non-Jewish people to be reconciled to God together. In that sense, it was a mystery. It was something that was kept in a secret in the Old Testament times. But God has made clear in the New Testament. It's interesting, after Jesus' resurrection, he went for a walk with some of his disciples on the road to Emmaus in Luke chapter 24, verse 27. And on that walk, they began to talk, and Jesus began to explain to them how the Old Testament pointed to Christ. And it says that he opened up the Old Testament scriptures, and he illuminated it for them so that they understood where Jesus was found from Genesis to Malachi. In that way, the mystery, the shroud fell, and people saw the truth for what it was. I have to think that over the next 40 days, as Jesus interacted with his disciples, uh, many times he would have talked about this truth again and again and again with them. Because when you look at the New Testament, which was written by those followers of Christ, we see many, many allusions to the Old Testament. 
As a matter of fact, the United Bible Society has counted 343 different quotes of the Old Testament in the New, 2,309 different allusions to the Old Testament in the New. All those things remind us that the teaching that Jesus gave that said that the Old Testament and the New Testament point to Christ, the first Christians certainly got that message, and as we read it, we get it as well. Even a book like Leviticus that talks about animal sacrifices reminds us that the wages of sin is death, and Jesus' death on the cross becomes the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. We learn the lesson in Leviticus, but we see its ultimate culmination in Christ. Friends, we have the privilege of encouraging and strengthening one another as we come together and we remember the gospel and as we preach Christ as found in the Old and the New Testament, as we read God's Word in the Old and the New Testament and we see how it points us to Jesus, it strengthens our faith. What else do we see? This message that was through the church was never intended to stay inside the church, but it was intended to go to the ends of the earth. It was intended to go to the nations. We see that, and he says, but this message has now been disclosed, verse 26, and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all the nations according to the command of the eternal God. God commanded through Christ the disciples to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey all that he had commanded them. And friends, we have been given that same commission to go out and to proclaim Christ to the ends of the earth. This gospel message that is encouraging to us, this truth of the Scriptures that God has given to us is not intended for us to hoard it to ourselves. God has intended for us to share it with those around us. And we've been talking about that all the last month and the opportunities we have to remember those in our spheres of influence and to reach out and to point them to Christ. Who is it that God wants to use you to point to Christ this year? Through God's Word, point them to Him. We're able to strengthen, we're able to mature, we're able to grow through the gospel and through the preaching of Jesus Christ. And ultimately, all that leads to obedience of faith, the end of verse 26. If you want to know what it looks like for someone to follow Christ, you're going to see those two things, faith and obedience. Who follows Christ? Those with faith and obedience. If we are not believing the truth about God, then we're not following Christ. If we are not obeying the truth that God has revealed, then we're not following Him. Now, I'm not talking in an existential sense. All of us are going to sin and fall short. But I'm saying that the general tenor of your life, what does it look like to follow Christ? It looks like faithful obedience. It looks like believing God at His Word. That's why we read it. That's why we're encouraged by it. We're called to, to embrace it, and not only to embrace it in theory, but to live it out in practice. Faithful obedience is the end result of this. Friends, there is one who is able to strengthen us in our faith. He does so through the gospel and through the preaching that points to Jesus. But I want us to see one last thing, and that is how Paul ends the book. He ends the book by saying this. He says, there is one who we worship. There is one who we worship. Now, we we see this in verse 27. It's this doxology that he ends the book with. He says, To the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. He says, to the only wise God, that is the one who is going to receive all the glory and all the praise. And it makes total sense, right? If there is one who is able to save us, he is the one who should receive the glory. 
If there is one who is able to deliver his righteousness to us, that he is the one who should receive the glory. If there is one who is able to strengthen us, to grow us, and to mature us, he is the one who should receive the glory. That's why when we sing songs here on this stage on Sunday, we gather and we sing these songs that focus on the person of Christ. Why do we do that? Because he is the one who we worship. He is the eternal God. We are worshiping him, not us. So we gather and we lift his name high. The implication and the application of the gospel is that it is about one who is able to do for us what we cannot do on our own. Therefore, we worship him in praise. Now, that is the conclusion of the book of Romans. And I want to just invite us to to end our study of this great book in in a special way together. And we're going to do that by celebrating the Lord's Supper together. And so the the team that's going to be helping us serve communion, if they would go ahead and and move into place, um, they'll be gathering those elements and we're going to be distributing them in in here in just a moment. But communion meal is this wonderful gift that God has given to the church. A couple of weeks ago, we celebrated baptism here with 26 people on that day who were baptized uh, here at Wildwood. And baptism is a gift. It's a picture of people's identification with Christ. In the same way, communion is a gift. It's a a symbol, a picture of what God has done for us in Christ. In the communion meal, we have a cup that represents the blood of Christ shed for us for the forgiveness of our sins, and we have a bread that is a reminder of, a symbol of the body of Christ broken for us for the forgiveness of our sins. So in this way, we have these two elements, and it reminds us of this reality. Now, here's the thing. I think it's wonderful for us to celebrate this meal on Thanksgiving week because you probably and your family have some food that has to show up for it to be Thanksgiving. Is that true? Think about it. It might be turkey. It might be dressing. It might be some special jello salad. It might be cranberry sauce. It might be something that there is something that you have to have present in order for it to be Thanksgiving. Here's the thing. For 2,000 years, Christians have gathered, and there have been two elements that have been present as reminders to us of what God has done for us in Christ. And in a sense, as we have these elements around us, they are reminders to us of the gospel message. And so our, our team is coming forward, and they're going to begin to, to pass these, these elements. And I would invite you, as the elements come by, for you to grab the bread and to grab the cup and to hang on to that. Um, and we're going to partake of the elements together after everyone has a chance to be served. Um, but as these elements are being passed and, and as we prepare to celebrate the Lord's Supper together, um, I want to just mention... Um, just a reminder to us of the gospel message that we have seen throughout the book of Romans. Again, we have been walking through this book for the last 16 months. And so I want us to to wrap up our time by remembering where we've been. In the 16 months of this series, we've had nine different series that have walked us through this book uh, in a systematic way. And what we've seen at the very beginning was that the gospel is the good news In the first three chapters of the book of Romans, we saw that there is good news that is available to us, and that is that sinful people like you and me could have the righteousness of God extended to us through the work of Christ. That's good news. We saw in chapters 4 and 5 of the book of Romans that there are some ABCs of faith, that from Abraham to Christ, there is the connection of humanity to God's gracious blessing 
that is found through faith. That it's always by us receiving by faith what God has done. It's never by works. It's never been that way. And so the way that Jesus' death, the way that the gospel becomes good news, not in general, but good news to me, is by me believing it in faith. We saw that in Romans 4 and 5. And for those of us who have placed our faith and trust in Christ, we saw in Romans chapter 6 that we have been set free, set free from the bondage and the power of sin so that we now have a freedom to live a new life in Christ, no longer shackled by our past, no longer shackled by the limited options of sinful living that we had before Christ, but we have been set free in Jesus. We saw that in Romans 6. Now, the challenge that comes to us, even for those of us in Christ, as we have been set free, is that we live out this new life in Christ in the old address of the flesh. And so Romans 7 and 8 remind us that in order for us to experience victory in our Christian life, we live it on the basis of the power of the Holy Spirit that God has given within us that allows us to overcome the temptation of our flesh. And then after talking about this, this hope that God has given us through the work of the Spirit in our lives, we begin to realize that our hope is dependent upon God and His faithfulness. So how do we know if God is faithful? Well, one of the ways that we find out that God is faithful is by looking at how He related with His people through history. And in Romans 9, 10, and 11, there's a defense of the faithfulness of God by looking at the way he treated his children Israel. And by the way we see that he treated Israel, we see that he is faithful even for us as well today. And as we trust in God and we realize that he is faithful, we now are to the point of needing to respond in some way. And we saw in Romans chapter 12 that we respond by aiming our lives pointed towards the purpose of Christ, that we've been made ready in Christ, we've been equipped with the Spirit, and we've been saved by grace, but now we are to point our lives in the direction of His purpose, to lay down our lives as a living sacrifice as we follow Him. But not only do we see that we are to aim our lives there, but we do so in the context of a world that is broken, and yet God extends common grace through things like our government, and so we saw in Romans 13, 1 through 7, what it means as we live out our lives as Christians in a secular world and nations that are ultimately under the sovereignty of God. And then we saw after that how we are to live our lives in relationship with one another, walking in love caring for those around us in chapters 13, 14, and 15, not maximizing our freedoms, but minimizing our freedoms as we serve others on gray areas inside of our faith. And then over the last four weeks, we've seen that we have the privilege of being on mission with Christ, partnering to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Friends, over 16 chapters, the good news of Jesus has been laid out for us by what God has given us inside of the book of Romans. And so as we gather now in worship, I want us to partake of our meal together. And so would you stand? And before we partake of this meal, I want to just pray. Father, so many of us are accustomed to offering a prayer of thanksgiving before we partake of a meal and, and so, so fitting for us to do so now, for us to offer a prayer of thanksgiving before a meal that reminds us of what you have done for us in Christ. Father, thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. And thank you that you took all of your wrath concerning our sin and you poured it out upon Christ so that we might live. That's a gift that we cannot fully understand but it's a gift that you have extended to us nonetheless. You have a love like no other, and we are so thankful, Father, 
for the opportunity we have to stand here forgiven and free, living lives dependent upon the the power of the Spirit aimed according to your purpose. Father, I pray that you would enable us to live on mission as we walk in love. We pray these things now in Jesus' name.